reality is unfolding in the present moment and the future is never known. So we're just making whatever decisions we think will lead to our happiness. And that's the innocence of everyone, right? Everyone just wants to be happy. And depending on how open or distorted their state of consciousness is, the body's actions will reflect that state of awareness. So when you recognize that, you realize, oh, I'm just being lived by the divine power and it's being filtered through this body's level of awareness. So I just need to expand my awareness. You are listening to The Medicine Podcast. I am Mimi. What is up, everybody? This is Chase. So long story short, we were childhood sweethearts turned husband and wife in our early 20s. Despite following the mainstream script for happiness, we actually divorced for three years. Only to later reunite as soulmates with a brand new outlook on love, God, health, and the real medicines of the universe. If you find yourself wondering, is there more to this life, to health, to God, to love? Then you are in the exact right place. Consider this your bridge to expansion for body, mind, and relationships. We are uncovering and discovering with you. Let's go take the medicine. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome back to The Medicine. This is episode 86. It's a long one, but quite possibly one of the most important and impactful conversations we've had to date, and definitely one of our favorites. We also have a giveaway associated with this episode, so make sure you listen to this entire intro to hear how to enter. So today we chat with Aaron Abke, who we discovered on YouTube a few months ago and immediately clicked with the unique way that he teaches. Chase and I have coined it as spiritual journalism. He takes very complex spiritual concepts and breaks them down in the most tangible and loving way that somehow feels like you are remembering versus learning for the first time. After growing up as a pastor's kid in the Evangelical Christian Church at age 27, Aaron had a dramatic spiritual awakening that changed the course of his life. He was working as a signed fitness model in San Francisco and competing at the national level in men's bodybuilding at the time, and completely walked out of his former life to dedicate himself to seeking spiritual truths and self-realization permanently. Aaron's passion is teaching unity consciousness and spiritual awakening with the world, and he does so today via YouTube, social media, masterclasses, and workshops, primarily teaching through texts such as A Course in Miracles and The Law of One. Aaron believes that unity consciousness and freedom from the ego is the next evolutionary leap for mankind and is available for anyone who truly desires it. Honestly, you guys, this episode was so hard to name because we discuss so much. I would say the primary themes revolve around spiritual evolvement and expansion. There is no better time than now to be having these conversations, which bring us closer to God, closer to each other and ourselves, breaking out of duality and division to shift our consciousness towards true unity. That is what our world needs desperately right now. You'll hear us share questions and insights from the way we grew up, also in the Christian church. All of this comes from absolute love and curiosity. So no matter where you are in your religious affiliation, know that you are welcome here and we only want to spread love in all of this. 
I invite you to open your heart and mind as you listen. And if you need to break it up into segments in order to listen to the entire thing, please do that. There are so many golden nuggets of wisdom all the way through. Like I said, there is a giveaway associated with this episode. So if you are listening the week of Monday, August 9th, when this episode first dropped, we'd love for you to enter our giveaway to win some of our favorite mushroom goodies, Organifi Superfood Blends and my favorite mushroom coffee in the world, King Coffee. Here's how to enter. It's super easy. While you are listening to this episode, just take a screenshot and share to your Instagram story. Tell your homies why you love it and then tag me at Mimi underscore the medicine and at the medicine podcast. That's it. Super easy. Then on Sunday, August 15th, we will choose a random winner of the Organifi and King Coffee as a thank you for helping us spread this expansive information with more of the world that needs it so badly. All right. Enjoy the episode, my loves. All right, you guys, welcome back to The Medicine. We have an incredible guest for so you today. excited for this guest. <laughs> He's been a bucket list guest for us, for sure. Um, we've just been diving into his content the last few months, and really, like, it's, it's actually been woven into our quality time at night when we sit and just enjoy and relax each other relax each other, enjoy each other and relax at night. Um, we like to learn together. And that has, for the last few months, included a lot of Aaron Abke. So Aaron, welcome to The Medicine. Thank you guys for having me. I'm honored to be here and honored to be on the bucket list. So excited <laughs> to talk to you guys. I have a little uh, home gym set up in, in my bedroom. It's mostly like for, for yoga, mobility practice, do a little like red light therapy in there. And I'll like be in meditation and hear your voice in the other room because Megan might turn on, uh, you know, Aaron Abke's YouTube. And I'm like, hey, I'm like, is that Aaron in there? Because you need to pause that shit until I'm out there. He legit was like, I hear you. And I'm like, I promise it's not the law of one. It's, it's another series that I'm watching on my own. And he's it's like, it's a rerun, huh. babe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And most couples have rules for like, hey, you can't, Netflix. You can't watch ahead on right, Ozarks. Right. Uh, we're, we're more along the, uh, Aaron Abke, uh, YouTube <laughs> channel for, for making sure that we're doing this thing together. I love it. Well, we said we had a lot in common a minute ago when we were talking, I literally have my red light box. Right oh, nice. Right there. Yeah. Oh yeah. We have a staple of my day. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Um, well, like I said, right before we started recording, we have so many questions for you. They've literally just started the minute we, you know, discovered your content, um, as we, um, really connected more with you and your story and how you teach and everything. Um, I think people listening will understand. They, they, our listeners know how seriously and how intentional we are with our learning. We take on this attitude, this approach in life really is forever a student. I never want to be done. He never wants, we never want to be done together. Like yeah. I believe that that is one of the points <laughs> of this earth, this life experience. Mm -hmm. And we, so in that, we are very intentional. And so when we find a teacher or someone that we connect with, we, we go all in. And so um, we definitely appreciate your work and what, you, what you're putting out there, not only the, the content, but how you deliver it. And um, just right off the bat, anyone who's listening to this, um, I, I expect that it's going to be a little bit longer of a conversation. If you need to come back to it, if you're driving, if you're working, if you're doing other things and you need to come back to this, absolutely do so and then dive into um, what Aaron has to offer as well because it is absolute gold. Very cool. I'm excited to get into it. 
<laughs> so our first question that we ask every guest of the medicine is, what do you love in your life? What aspect of your life do you love so much that you wish you could gift to every human? Mm, that's a cool way of putting it. Well, I love this question because I, I often describe that when I wake up, um, I don't know, it sort of feels like a gratitude bomb goes off in my mind. It's sort of like this epiphany of, whoa, I get to live another day in this life and experiencing all these beautiful things. And it's, it's really not because I've acquired anything super noteworthy, like you know, wealth, fame, or fortune. Uh, it's just because my heart is open so much to the, just the miracle of being alive, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's hard for me to choose, but I think um, just to give a simple answer, I'd probably say the ability to just tune in to the gifts that are all around us and every little moment, every little thing, um, it's a cliche, right? But happiness really is found in appreciating the little things more so than like waiting for the next big vacation or the next big pay raise or whatever. Those things are great too. But happiness comes when, when it's like everything just kind of shines with that, uh, that, that innocence and purity. You recognize just the miracle of being alive is such a gift. Like you said, we get to be here and grow every day, learn more, deepen in our self-knowledge and it really just allows the, the things that you used to overlook as um, ordinary or kind of irrelevant to who I am and my happiness really become the focal points of just uh, like I was talking with my girlfriend about this. I said, it's funny how every moment of my day, you know, you have, you get into a, not habits, but a routine every day. If you're early morning, your late morning, your midday, afternoon, evening, nighttime, and you kind of follow the same routines. And I find myself like, I wake up and I'm like, oh, it's early morning. I get to go meditate. It's so quiet. The sun's coming up. I love this time of the day. <laughs> and then I do my morning calls. I'm like, oh, I can't wait for my morning calls. Lunchtime, workout. I can't wait to work out. It's like the whole day is like yeah. this long experience of gratitude. Yeah. And that really comes out, I think, when you, when you, when anyone is proactively creating a life that you love. It doesn't just happen mm -hmm. to you. Maybe it does yeah. for some people, wow, <laughs> that must be such a blessing. But like for most of us, I think that uh, it does take intentionality and truly creating the life that you want to live every day rather than just expecting that to happen to you. Totally. Um, I, I can imagine that you've, you've created your life in a way such that you get to enjoy every part of it. Yeah, it's, it's been, you know, how Jesus says, seek first the kingdom, everything else will be added. It's really been a, a result of that. I've absolutely would say created my life the way it is today, but um, not in the way that people typically think of it in the terms of like, I sit down, I visualize what I want, I manifest it. It's, it's been an inside out creation of like, I need to create this, the space sure. within myself that I want and the outer just began to reflect mm -hmm. you know, the inner beauty, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Hell yeah. It's such a good reminder too. Like it is those little things we were just reflecting even like within the last 24 hours of when we were married and how even speaking back to that, like building the kingdom, you know, that seems like it should be the accumulation of assets. It should be yeah. the constant pursuit of achieving something such that you can actually literally physically build your kingdom. And you know, what is, what does the masculine always want to be? They want to be the freaking king of that kingdom. Mm -hmm. Um, yet the little things 
the the awareness to just acknowledge the fact that I have a freaking queen in my life and this kingdom is here with me at mm. 31 years old. It was with me at 25 years old. And mm. those are the types of things like just taking a hot second to observe and to sit and listen, um, picking up on the fact that like, yo, the kingdom of heaven is within you. And uh, it's those types of things as, as I look back, even on my 31 years going, damn, the happiest moments were the tiny little things. Wasn't yeah. the, the the achievements or the or the grand feats um, or or jobs, uh, the accumulation of money? It was like these tiny little things. So much of uh, of our lives' favorite memories and moments have had these little tiny, uh, non shiny uh, attributes to them that are just so freaking rich. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Yeah, hell yeah. Well, uh, as we sort of like get going here. I think something that rings so true with us um, is, is your backstory a little bit, you know, uh, high level, spoiler alert, uh, Aaron comes <laughs> from an evangelical background. So maybe if you could take us through a little bit, just, just you know, briefly, you don't have to go too long on this, mm-hmm. um, but a little bit of your background, uh, getting all the way to what you're doing today and essentially like how you would define what you're doing today. Yeah, so I grew up as a pastor's kid, and I, I, I was really blessed to grow up in a, a family that emphasized all the right things, uh, the love of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God, and our church was just a great place to be, a great place to grow up. And so I didn't have to wrestle with a lot of the dogmatic stuff until I got really into college. I went to ORU, um, Oral Roberts University, so kind of like the the best evangelical university you could go to. And they were much more, um, they emphasized the dogmatic stuff a lot more than I was used to. So I, I began really thinking about, you know, do I really believe that God punishes people who don't confess Jesus and stuff? Do I really believe the rapture's coming soon? And it just, it didn't stick anywhere for me, but you know, you're at that age, you're just in college trying to get your credits and make your grades and stuff. So it was when I graduated and got my first church job as a worship leader full-time uh, at a very fundamentalist church that I was just constantly confronted with these beliefs that kept challenging my view of God so strongly that it just felt like life put me in a position, you know, backed me into a corner and said, all right, we've given you enough time to find yourself and avoid these questions, but there's nowhere to run anymore. Like, do you believe in this God or not? Because everything depends on your answer to this question. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I can't run from this anymore. I don't believe in this God. Uh, I, can't, I can't handle the internal conflict created by working here and listening to these messages every Sunday. It's not in resonance with me. So I quit my job and essentially quit my religion, uh, which as you guys probably know well, is a terrifying thing to do because <laughs> you're not just quitting a religion, right? You're quitting your friendships. A lot of times your family you're quitting your entire worldview um, on top of your religion. So your whole context for reality just goes whoop. And uh, it's in a sense a beautiful space to be in to just not know anything. Um, now I'm at a place where that's my whole goal is to not know anything. But uh, back then it was very terrifying. So I spent a few months sort of as like a closet atheist because you know my view of God was so wrapped up in this monolithic being in the sky who's, you know, upset and in a bad mood most of the time. When that went away, how do you even reconceptualize God anymore? Mm-hmm. 
So I got into near-death experiences initially to just say like, you know, if there is a God, who would know if there is? Probably people who've died, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I just started yeah. reading those like crazy. And I, you know, instantly as anyone who reads NDEs or studies them will find there was just um, so many commonalities, like 90% of the stories had these same themes in them. A universal energy source creator that was unconditionally loving, totally non-judging, uh, seeing their life review and, you know, sort of like them being the judge of their own life versus a God judging them. Those, these mm -hmm. themes were throughout every single one of these experiences. And I went, all right, so there's no way that this many people are all making up the same narrative. Um, there's got to be some truth here. And I felt at that point um, totally safe to explore Eastern religions and things like that. So started listening to the standards of Alan Watts and Eckhart Tolle and whatnot. And then really just dove into uh, Hinduism initially, the Vedas, the sutras, Upanishads, and just I found so much resonance with their view of the divine. And that led me to understand how the mind works a lot better because as you guys well know, Christianity does the devotion worship aspect really well. Mm -hmm. uh, it's all about loving God and that's great, but the wisdom aspect is sorely lacking really no understanding of the divine nature or oneness, uh, this very separative view. So I needed that wisdom uh, at that time. And uh, after, you know, five to seven years of heavily studying Buddhism and Hinduism, uh, I felt like I was lacking that love aspect again, that component. So I kind of returned to my Christian roots in a sense and started listening to worship music a lot more. And uh, that was always how I connected with the divine was worship. And when I integrated that aspect back into my spiritual practice, it was really like this, such a magic formula that I felt so much expansion and acceleration from marrying those two. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just cool to look back at how, you know, God leads you through every step that you need to go through uh, to get you to where you are today. So it's, it's been a fun ride. Mm. Uh, love that. I mean, so many things that I know that there literally is. just strike a massive chord with us. Yeah. <laughs> one of the, you know, one of the things that's been so encouraging about, uh, listening to you and following you, um, when I kind of broke away from the religion, which was really in college, I one of the things that continued to trip me out, even when I kind of went into what what would be just scientific materialism or maybe even atheism, kind of graduating into just like agnostic, but the, one of the things that would continually trip me out is like I remember, you know, I'm kindergarten through through literally through high school and Christian school, these moments of just spiritual. Uh, almost like takeover of a body. And it never really happened to me as much as what I witnessed and whether that was in worship, um, even, you know, what some would consider like exorcisms or uh, what, what would be looked at upon as like uh, speaking in tongues. And these moments were so wild and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't explain them. And then it also didn't necessarily jive with what I'd been gravitating towards was, which was this, there is no higher loving power it is right. random it is maybe at best it's the clockmaker god that just twists this thing up and lets it go yeah um so so what you've what you've essentially been able to articulate is that like the entire definition or explanation may not be all inclusive but there are there are elements to this that can still be extremely powerful extremely beautiful extremely transformative that have you know layers of truth embedded within You're talking about Christ yeah. christianity, christianity. Um, yeah. that has been almost like refreshing mm -hmm. and being like, damn, okay, well that framework wasn't all that bad. <laughs> yeah, totally. 
I, I get disappointed when I hear people throwing the baby out with the bathwater when they right. leave Christianity, because like you said, it's, there's so much gold to be rescued there. You just have to see it the right way. And, uh, you know, that's another reason why A Course in Miracles uh, resonated so strongly with me. I don't know if you guys have been into that much, but because of the Christian language, right? And uh, re-envisioning all these terms we used to use that had a lot of dogmatic meaning, now they have uh, such, such depth to them. And you understand really almost like the potential that is there in the Christian faith. If we can take these terms, mm-hmm. salvation, atonement, Holy Spirit, Christ, and see the kind of the non-dual meaning that they really point to, uh, Christianity can be a profoundly powerful religion like Buddhism and Hinduism. And I think that uh, it's probably headed that way as time goes forward. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that really was a catalyst for me in my spiritual journey as I was sort of on the edge of um, evangelical Christianity, it was still my sort of uh, main well of spirituality. Um, But there was still things that weren't clicking, that weren't landing, that didn't feel right within me. And I, I was in a place, you know, physically and mentally and, and relationally where I was just very sick. And I was like, this isn't working. This isn't working for me. Yeah. Maybe it's working for other people. It's not working for me. And specifically what I mean is when we separated, when we divorced, after that, I was carrying a huge amount of guilt and shame with me with, you know, related to how I carried myself in our marriage and our separation and everything like that. But I didn't talk about it. I just kept it inside me. And I just, yeah. you know, I would pray and I would hope that God would just take it from me, take this shame and this guilt from me. And it just never, it just didn't work. And um, I didn't get to the point until, you know, a few years in where I was like, I actually needed to speak it to, you know, a a loving best friend of mine, which I felt that release off of me. But I think one of the things that is uh, kind of wrapped around Christianity is this main theme of shame and guilt and sort of in this perpetual nature where it's almost like the individual needs shame and guilt because then that links you to the the salvation right. of Jesus mm-hmm. where you perpetually need him you can't save yourself you need him to you know take this take that from you or release you from this xyz whatever it is that you're dealing with and for me it was i was like this is not working whatever yeah. it is and so i had to come to this place where i similar like you, where we just find our own path, like what works, following those nudges of what works and, and what's not working. And I would love if you could, um, I know I, we've heard you speak on this before, but kind of this idea of um, of shame and guilt and, and releasing it and why we shouldn't actually feel shame and guilt or why it doesn't serve us to hold mm-hmm. on to that shame and guilt. And how can people actually help release it for themselves? Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah. Well, I love that you said that because that was what also woke me up was seeing that total contradiction of how Christianity seems to use these tools of guilt, shame, and condemnation to motivate people to, for their spiritual seeking. And I, it became so clear that these are like anti-gospel ideologies in every way. Like where are we getting this idea that we should be guilty to be righteous or, or that shame is virtuous. Like that's so contradictory. And, uh, that's, you know, obviously guilt is the byproduct of, of ego and you always become like the God you, or the God you worship becomes like who you are, how you see yourself, you project that onto God. And that also became very clear 
especially as I started questioning ideas. Cause for a while I didn't just like leave everything at once, but I started at first I, I left the rapture was the first belief that I was like, I, I don't believe in that. So I was a Christian who doesn't believe in the rapture. I can't remember the name for that. Now it starts with a P you guys might know. Um, and then it was hell was the next one. And I would have these conversations with Christians, my friends, um, about my changing beliefs. And I was really excited because I had a lot of like biblical proof to back up why these, these ideas aren't actually in the Bible. They're just man-made conceptions that have evolved over time. And people didn't want to hear it because they're identified and they would get so angry at me and say things, you know, maybe you have a demon or whatever. And I started to recognize like, like, Oh, the wrath of God, you better be careful, Aaron. The wrath of God is, um, is going to come down on you if you keep believing this stuff. And I would start to realize like, no, it's, it's your wrath. Right? Yeah. You're the yeah. one who's pissed off. Yeah. You're, you're triggered that I don't agree with your opinions. Yeah. And you're just projecting that onto God. Like I don't experience a God like that. And that was, um, like you said, that was what woke me up was like, I don't know this God you guys are preaching. Who's, who's upset about sin. I've never experienced a God like that. I always experienced this amazingly transcendently loving God that is quick to forgive and can't even imagine what it would feel like for him to be angry at me. But it's like you people have been telling me he's angry, but it doesn't line up with my lived experience. And so with, when it comes to guilt, this is something that hangs on even after Christianity because it's really not, it doesn't find its origin in religion. It finds its origin in the human ego, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Guilt is identification. I'm the doer. I did the thing. I'm, I'm the, um, I'm the judge and the executioner of Mm -hmm. myself. And so when we, another way I like to talk about guilt is karma. That guilt is like the energetic remnant of when we've created karma from something, we'll feel Mm -hmm. guilt. We know there's a karmic, karmic involvement when there's guilt and the ego like religion does. Often I'll say religion is sort of like an institutionalized ego. Mm Mm-hmm. The ego will, um, in wanting you to identify with everything you've done and believe that you're the body, you're this person, um, it will accuse you of all the wrong mistakes the body's done. And it will make you feel, even in spirituality, like that's a virtuous thing. Like I should feel bad if I've done a bad thing. And who would argue with that? But it actually produces bad fruit. And like Jesus said, you always know a tree by its fruit, right? Yes. If I am guilty for... Like let's, I always use the uh, example of alcohol addiction or, or smoking cigarettes. Um, could be anything though. If, if, I, if I feel guilty every time I go for the cigarette, well, I'm identifying as the cigarette smoker, the addict. And so there's an identity in me that needs to be lived up to. Mm. So every time I feel the craving and I feel bad about it and I resist the craving, it's actually reinforcing that I really am an addict, right? Mm-hmm. So in working with some clients, I'll, I'll often encourage them to smoke the cigarette with absolutely no guilt at all. Just the urge is rising. It's life's urge moving through me to smoke the cigarette. No problem at all. Let's smoke a cigarette. And when you can get out of the way of that guilt, um, because guilt is such a restricting filter, right, on your awareness, all you can relate to is I'm a bad, bad, evil, horrible person. You're actually not seeing all the other variables about the situation. Mm-hmm. This is one of the reasons people take psychedelics, right? They're, they're trying to profoundly expand their awareness of mm-hmm. all these other elements they're normally not seeing. And when you can zoom out, you always have this 
much more healthy, holistic perspective that just balances everything. And so getting rid of guilt is like a mini psychedelic trip for people because you'll start to pick up on all of the imbalances about the thing that makes it bad. Like it affects my health. It affects my relationships. Um, like if it's smoking, you know, my, my teeth are getting yellow. I'm always, I have no appetite. I'm losing so much weight. Um, I always smell like cigarettes and people comment on that. You're willing to overlook those things or not even notice them when you're so guilty and addicted to something um, that once you stop making it a problem, those things become very obvious to you. And at some point, the pain of all the consequences of smoking cigarettes will outweigh the pain of not giving in to the addiction. And naturally, you'll just find that the urge to grab the cigarette dies away, sort of like in a breakup. Uh, you can't break up with the person until the pain of being with them is worse than the pain yeah. of being away from them, right? Yeah. Same exact thing. Okay, you may have never done this, but next time you brush your teeth, turn your toothpaste tube over and take a look at the ingredient list. You'll probably see things like sodium fluoride or sodium lauryl sulfate or sorbitol or artificial colors like blue dye number one. These are major hormone and gut disruptors. Do you see glycerin in the ingredient list? That's made from GMO vegetable oil, my love. It's toxic to your cells and actually blocks your saliva from doing its job in mineralizing your teeth. As a registered dental hygienist and lover of true holistic health, I quit using commercial toothpaste and dental products a long time ago. They just do not meet high standards for long-term health, no matter what seal you see stamped on the front of the tube. The ingredient list doesn't lie. If a product is going into my mouth and into my body multiple times a day, every day, in my opinion, it should be clean, reliable, and free of hormone disruptors and gut irritants. Which is why Chase and I have completely made the switch over to Living Libations dental products. They are packed with ancient healing herbs, gentle oils, and alkaline buffers. Our favorite is the Neem Alkalinizing Toothpaste. Only a tiny dot is needed, but you'll feel your whole mouth come alive as it breaks up bacteria colonies that cause bad breath while keeping your saliva alkaline, which is essential for a healthy mouth. Not to mention your teeth will feel super smooth and polished. To try for yourself, go to livinglibations.com and use the code MEDICINE, M-E-D-I-C-I-N, for a nice discount. They have a wide variety of products to choose from and amazing customer service if you have any questions on which product is right for you. When we know better, we can do better. And now, you know. Cheers, boo. Uh, I, I love how you articulated that. You know, even, even you know, reflecting back on, you know, my upbringing, our upbringing uh, in the church, there's such a default mode network um, imprint on your behavior to just constantly look for forgiveness. And, you know, in, as a, as a growing boy, you know, your freaking hormones are going crazy. There's just constant guilt around <laughs> yeah. what am I thinking? Um, God forbid, if I touch myself, um, <laughs> mm -hmm. what about this girl that I'm looking at? 
you know, in our relationship specifically, we had so much pressure. We started dating at a young age. Hey, don't have sex until you're married. You'll have all these, you know, blessings if you do. God will reward you. And yeah. just even, and, and even like, you know, even some of these verses that's like, if you think upon a woman with lust, it's, it's just as if you've, you know, committed adultery. Mm-hmm. And the wild shit that went through my head out of <laughs> guilt for the first like 18 years of my life was so ingrained in my brain that I think even leading into once I left the faith, whether it was nutrition, you know, I just had sugar, like, oh my God, this, this guilt cycle, or it was something to do with work. I need, I need to act in a particular way to meet the standards of what my boss is expecting of me. And if I don't, I need to be, be on this guilt forgiveness loop. Or maybe it was I played college athletics, similarly with a coach. And so I'm so addicted to that feedback loop, that pattern of guilt, forgiveness, um, you know, in order to achieve salvation, that it's just like almost in my 20s, yeah. searching for that in every aspect and every layer of my life. Um, for you specifically, like, you know, we have this, we feel it even to this day where we're breaking down um, these patterns uh, with from our 15, 16 uh, year relationship to see if like there's something more. Is that a program? Is that a program what we just felt? Mm-hmm. Or is that actually mm-hmm. something That's new, good. something real? And, and how has that looked like for you? Maybe through relationship or through habits? Um, how have you been able to specifically uh, kind of reframe that pattern of, okay, I should feel guilty for something. I need to seek somebody's forgiveness and then I can move on. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, we'll often say this kind of stuff in spirituality. We'll say, well, no one can behave above their level of consciousness. But it's like we don't apply that to ourselves. So we just, it's easy to see it in other people. But it's like, well, then that means I can't, right? Mm-hmm. So it's been a, a humongous transformation to recognize I am just awareness in a body. And my body just acts out my level of awareness. So Mm -hmm. there's no doer of actions in a sense. There's no independent chooser that like has all the options laid out. It knows all the consequences and it's choosing the action it wants. Like, okay, if that's actually how actions happened, then maybe guilt would make sense. If we knew an outcome would produce a negative result and we still chose it, then okay, sure, I'm guilty. I'm the doer. But that never happens in reality. Reality is unfolding in the present moment and the future is never known. So we're just making whatever decisions we think will lead to our happiness. And that's the innocence of everyone, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone just wants to be happy. And depending on how open or distorted their state of consciousness is, the body's actions will reflect that state of awareness. So when you recognize that, you realize, oh, I'm just being lived by the divine power and it's being filtered through this body's level of awareness. So I just need to expand my awareness. Like guilt doesn't make any sense because I'm not actually choosing every action. The, the actions that happen through this body are direct mirrors to what I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. So you can't fault yourself if you make dumb decisions because you didn't have the awareness not to make the decision. So you, you begin to live from this really awesome Uh, openness and surrender to life that even when a bad action, let's say happens, you accept that as the divine will, like, no, I I needed to make that action so I could expand my awareness. How else could I see what that kind of decision leads to unless I experience it? And like everything becomes a part of the divine play. Whereas in religion, we're very much told to divide things where 
if, if a negative thing happens, it wasn't from God, it was evil and wrong. You should feel bad and you're bad. If a good thing happens, that was the, a righteous decision. And so you're always sifting every aspect of your life, just how stressful, what a uh, stressful way to live like that. And to balance it is just to see, you know, everything happens by the divine power. Nobody can act outside of the flow of life. All actions are God's actions. If you live with that uh, understanding, man, your, your awareness expands so fast and you notice that those distorted behaviors based on selfishness and pride just drop away because you're no longer doing that good, bad, right, wrong sort of duality with your life any longer. It's that's so perfect. And, yes. and we, we've been so um, challenged by that and actually excited by, you know, looking through life with these challenges, quote unquote, as catalysts for growth or opportunity. <laughs> and, you know, we've been so inspired by your, your work uh, with the law of one over the last few months, especially to be like reframing that into yeah. our life. Like, Hey, there's the catalyst. Like, yeah. and it's, it's a way it's fun. It's like, it's like playing a game in this experience when you actually look at those things as not mm -hmm. stumbling blocks, but, but little, actual stepping stones, right? Little games within the game. Yeah. The, the amount yeah. of times we've said catalyst in the last month is like ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but really like we've been saying that, uh, sometimes when these bad quote unquote things happen, say, um, say maybe it's a death in your family. No one's going to look at that and be like, Oh good. Yay you need to feel these sort of negative emotions, right? It's not, you are still human um, or say something, you lose a job or something like that where someone could see that as negative. Um, sometimes it doesn't feel right to say, oh, this is an opportunity. Yes, it is an opportunity for growth or change or involvement, of course, but sometimes that doesn't feel right in, uh, for myself at least. Saying the word catalyst is it still implies that opportunistic nature, but it feels more, um, I don't know what the word is, but it, it just feels more correct. It feels more accurate to depict sort of negative situations instead of having this Pollyanna syndrome where it's like, everything's an opportunity, opportunity, yeah. opportunity. You can sort of be viewed as like, you're just you're just blind to what's actually happening in your life. Rather, using the word catalyst, it, it, it implies that opportunistic nature, but also that like there could be some, some grit, some hardness here to this, and you, it, it, you're not necessarily overlooking that. Yeah, and there's permission to just yeah. sit in the shit for a second. Like, yeah. if, if we are about experiencing this, mm -hmm. uh, this reality and this universe, there's a piece of that which is experiencing the darkness for a second. Yeah. Even if it's yeah. only a second, and even if you're motivated to move out of it, uh, I think just sitting in it for at least a hot minute and, and absorbing it just to know what it, that experience is like is beneficial. Yeah, I think it's in Isaiah. I, this popped into my head. Paul Check talks about it all the time. This this reference in Isaiah where he says, yeah, well, you know, Christians, evangelical Christians like to pass over this verse in Isaiah where he says, I, the Lord, create the light in the dark, the good and evil. I, the Lord, do these things. Right. And it's like it. It's everything. It's the totality of the light and the dark, the the negative and the positive. Like they are relative and they exist only in the presence of each other. And sure. I think sometimes we only look to the good, um, like you said, like oh, this is from God, this mm -hmm. is from Satan, and things like that. And and it, it is so freeing when you can view it all as just it just is, and how I respond to it speaks more about me than than anything else and, and my level of consciousness or awareness or involvement. Um, definitely yeah. that, that has flipped, I would say for, for, I'll speak for myself, definitely within the last year or so yeah. where it's like, oh, it just is. And, and mm -hmm. uh, how I respond to it is really uh, 
what's important here. Yeah. Well, I would imagine for you both, uh, as it was for me, that that was the hardest leap to make out of Christianity was uh, just transcending duality because it's so heavy laden in Christianity that everything is duality. You know, you got to mm-hmm. make, you got to choose the good and shun the evil. Whereas in reality, reality is the interplay of two oppositely charged polarities mm-hmm. and both of them are equally necessary as the law of one says. And actually to cling to one, you actually imply the other while you're doing that. And so to transcend duality is to acknowledge the validity of both polarities as, as you said, to sit in the shit for a while actually teaches you so much wisdom and you realize, Oh, the negative polarity is wisdom because ignorance teaches truth and the positive polarity teaches love oneness unity and both are equally necessary. And, uh, I love what Lao Tzu says, uh, in the Tao Te Ching. Um, I believe it's something like when you speak of beauty, ugliness is there. When you speak of truth, the evil is there. Mm. So it's like, don't cling to one because you actually will bring the other, like the negative polarity in a sense is always pushing the positive from behind. Um, without the negative polarity, the positive couldn't know itself or experience anything. So the negative is like the motivation for the positive in a sense. And so, yeah, if you are trying to cling to one thing, you're actually karmically attracting the opposite to you, which man, did we ever experience that in Christianity? Sure. Mm-hmm. Chasing after righteousness just brought so much guilt and, and pain and yeah. shame and transcending both and just being okay with um, the negative, the, the darkness, the, the challenges of life. All of a sudden it's, it's that resurrection right into the, the Christ light where you realize, no, God is in everything. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole earth is full of his glory. Where can I go? As David said, from you, if I make my bed in hell, you are there. If I ascend to the heights of heaven, you are there. I mean, I think that's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. I that's <laughs> that's another switch, another like <laughs> flip that's been switched on for me. Especially living on Coronado Island, like beauty is everywhere. I mean, this is this little gem of a tropical island, and that's how I daily on a walk, you know, interact with the divine is smelling a rose or watching the wind in the palm trees or watching the waves for, you know, 10 minutes or 20 minutes at a time. It's like, it's everywhere. And it's those, again, we're bringing it full circle back to the beginning where we're talking about it's in the little things. And really, you know, I think the, the extraordinary nature of life is in those ordinary things like a rose or a palm tree or the, the ocean. But really what makes it extraordinary is that you are witnessing and um, if you're in that stillness, you are witnessing the little bit of God or the creator that's in that whatever that thing is, which is why it feels so extraordinary. It's not necessarily just the rose. It's like what's that intelligence that's in the rose that's some that is resonating with my intelligence, you know, but you have to be like, it's to be looking to get flirted with. Yeah. Right. You know? It's like you're being flirted <laughs> with by the creator. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I use that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah oh yeah. Right. Like we walk around and we're like, Oh, we, we look for things like what, what, what part of nature is flirting with us right now that we want to like, Oh yeah, yeah. I see you. I God's see very you. flirty today. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. You know, we've mentioned a couple things uh, or a couple times here, two works, of course in miracles and uh, the law of one. And I think many listeners, this may be relatively new, but these are channeled works. And for us specifically, uh, still, still pretty new. I actually um, listened to, uh, the the raw material uh, a few years ago um, just on audio and had no freaking idea what I was listening to. <laughs> I, I got it just like out of nowhere random and yeah. couldn't stop for like 
for like a week straight. Um, I think it was mostly because they mentioned like Bigfoot, you know, f- you know, UFOs and a couple right. other like really, uh, you know, pyramids and these things that kind of got me hooked. But I found so much of myself um, just being lit up with some level of resonance by this material. Um, so generally, this is, this is probably new to, to uh, our listeners, similar to ourselves. What are channeled works generally, kind of the 101? How did you get into it? And kind of what's like the hierarchy of like channeled works? Hmm. <laughs> well, Christians believe the Bible's channeled. Right. <laughs> so there's that. And uh, that was something that was kind of funny as well. When I left Christianity, I was in, uh, immediately almost reading channeled works um, as soon as I got through the NDE phase, it was like ACIM, Law of One, Seth material. And uh, I, I think I resonated with it because I grew up believing in this channel book, right? Sure. So a lot of that's in me, but uh, channeling is really not something so mysterious or profound or, or even woo-woo. Um, I was talking to my friend Bridget Nielsen about this yesterday. We were talking about how women's cycles um, match each other if they live together. Uh, my, my girlfriend, for example, I don't know if you guys have heard this, but so many reports have come out around people who've taken the vaccine that if Mm -hmm. like a woman is with her husband, he's gotten the vaccine. She hasn't her menstrual cycles have stopped and all this crazy Mm -hmm. bleeding will happen. And my girlfriend had the same thing happen where for three months she didn't have a cycle and Mm -hmm. she, we couldn't figure out what was going on. And we started reading these reports on Instagram. People were posting and there's like thousands of women saying, I haven't taken the vaccine. All my friends have, but like them, my periods have stopped. Like what's going mm-hmm. on? And it sort of clicked like, look, the bodies are already telepathic. Like that's telepathy right there. They're communicating. Sure. It's just nonverbal communication. And we also see that with emotions. If you're around somebody who's in an emotional state, you cannot help but pick that up. Whether it's joy or sadness, you're going to feel what they're feeling. That's telepathy. So we know that that happens in these other ways. Why would it be so radical to think that it could happen with ideas and imprints of thoughts and things like that? So that's really all a channeled work is, as somebody who is very in tune with um, the uh, getting into that unbounded field of consciousness and just receiving those imprints and people who practice it enough and they initiate contact with um, a being out there somewhere uh, have learned to receive contact. And it's happened many, many times in history, um, people channel all the time, but there's been very few works in my opinion that are truly like profoundly channeled materials and the law of one to me, I mean, it's, it's almost a tie between ACIM and the law of one. When I read those texts, it's so obvious that a human being could never make anything like this up. This is so next level um, because they're so fractal in nature. Whereas you go through it and every time you read it, it deepens and it deepens and it deepens. And it feels like you've never even read it before in a sense. And truth is like that, right? Truth is just has so many layers, infinite mm-hmm. layers to it in a sense. So when, when you read a book like the law of one, um, it will speak to you at your current level of awareness, but you'll notice that as your awareness deepens and, and widens, the book will continue to meet you there. And you know, when I read, uh, books written by, I don't know, people, not non-channeled works. Um, Most of them don't have that effect where like, if I read it, I'll go back and read it five years later. I'm like, oh, this is sort of like a kindergarten book now. (laughs) Yeah. But a channeled work, it's like, whoa, I've never even read this before. It's so much deeper now. Yeah. 
I find that I, I'm physically reading the law of one right now. And um, it's so interesting because I wake up and the first thing I do is like get my mushroom coffee and I sit down and read for, you know, 45 minutes or so. And I, I, I know this feeling well, when I open my eyes, Chase wakes me up and I am excited to jump in because I know it's equal parts remembering and equal parts mm. pushing me where this, my level of awareness here, this, my level of consciousness here isn't ready for a lot of what's, what I'm about to read, but um, a lot of it still is like, oh yeah, remembering almost where it feels like deep down in me somewhere, I feel like this makes more sense mm -hmm. than other things that I've heard. I've heard a lot of other answers, you know, to certain questions, but this for some reason is resonating with me. And uh, it, it's really fun to, to wake up and to be excited to, to be pushed and also remember like uh, this, this teaching. And, and it's, some of it is so, I, you're reading it knowing I'm not getting this, but I, I will eventually. And that's a really, really yeah, cool feeling. It is. It, 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 both with A Course in Miracles and uh, with The Law of One, I felt like at times there were seeds embedded in my, uh, in my sort of soul that were getting watered and, and blooming potentially for the first time ever and probably what felt so familiar um, and others that were maybe getting planted for the, for the first time and that I wasn't going to pick it up on this time through but maybe I'd experience something out into my life and that would, that would actually water the seed mm -hmm. or, or my second or third time through, or, uh, you know, hearing your material, Aaron, which art articulates it in a way that is actually a little more digestible yeah. is like, Oh, the amount of times that we've looked at each other and been like, <laughs> Oh my God. The slow motion. Yeah. 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 We, we'll pause and be like, okay. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, you know, everybody listening, it's such a great place to start would be um, actually Aaron's yeah. material or some of the commentary on uh, these works. Uh, Marion Williamson has, I think, Reflections on the Course in Miracles. Um, mm -hmm. Return to uh, Love. Return to Love, mm -hmm. which is just a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, as well as, uh, you know, I, I would say Aaron's is 100% the best that I've seen from yeah. the commentary's perspective we were talking about before the show. It really is like spiritual journalism where uh, um, your series on the law of one, which has, I think, like up to almost 15 different uh, episodes, if you will, mm -hmm. um, is, is in such a non-biased perspective, yet digestible, a little more easy to take in than just the, the straight up uh, channeled work from the raw uh, crew. And so I would definitely start there, listeners, if you're, if you're curious as to what these are all about, is you know, check out Aaron's channel, obviously. Um, but look into some of the other like commentary before potentially even going right yeah. in. I would absolutely yeah. recommend that if anyone is interested in this or you've heard about it and you're like, oh, maybe I'll start. Maybe I'll just go buy it. I would start. I, I'm so glad that I started with your videos on the law of one specifically um, before I just went out and bought it and started reading. I, I think that man, it makes such a huge difference when, when you can have almost like nuggets, like bullet points of like, here's a synopsis. And then it's, it's so much easier to digest when you're actually reading it. So I would highly encourage people to, to go about it that way. Um, it, it's really been beneficial for us. Um, I would love to hear from you um, uh, what, what has switched or what has really like... Um, felt this noetic sense that we get so many times when we when we're being taught or we're teaching our we're teach learning ourselves um 
Do you remember any specific moments with these channeled works or reading um, and, and, or hearing people speak about them where you had that noetic sort of sense, like this remembering sense? Like, do you experience that all? And do you have any um, examples which you could speak to? I think that's one of the other hallmarks of a channeled work is what you guys have expressed. Um, like Chase was just saying, reading it, uh, maybe the concepts aren't there in the mind because like maybe the conscious mind hasn't learned this in this incarnation, but the soul is remembering because if truth is eternal, then truth can only be remembered. It can't be learned. Mm -hmm. And so something in, this is what everybody says who reads the law of one, uh, something in you just comes alive and you're like, I don't know what the hell they're talking about, but man, it just makes me, it charges me up. Like yeah. I know that this is the truth, but I got to get the, the concepts need to catch up for a while. And that's exactly why I made those videos is just like, there's so much gold here for people that if I can almost like make a law of one for dummies and simplify these, this terminology, people can sort of dive right in. And even on the first pass through, they're going to pick up so much more once they can map these concepts to what their heart is resonating with. So that was my experience in reading it was it's like, I am remembering this. It's like, part of me has always known this. Like, I, of course I knew the universe worked this way and was this marvelous and such an adventure and a gift. Uh, I just didn't have the words and language yet. And the course was like that too, but in, in the sense of spiritual healing, uh, all of these just kind of pinnacle teachings the course gives, like uh, your, your brother is your mirror. Uh, your brother mm -hmm. is the way to your salvation. Heaven is entered two by two. You can't get to heaven and keep this person out. You have to walk with them hand in hand. I, I never really come across it said that way in any spiritual text uh, or teaching that I've experienced. And, you know, giving is proof of having. What you give to another, you make yourself the source of it. So mm -hmm. the service to others becomes this huge component of growth. Whereas most, you know, spiritual seekers, we... And it's necessary to spend this time in isolation, working on yourself alone and all that. Um, but most spiritual seeking doesn't really get out of itself and use the other as a primary practice. And th those were some things that just created such huge acceleration when I started applying them was, no, I, I will refuse to judge anyone ever again. I will look at everyone and see their innocence. Mm -hmm. I will not look at their actions to define them. And suddenly you notice that you start projecting that same perception to yourself you stop judging yourself for your actions and then it clicks you're like whoa my brother is my savior the course is right i see what it mm. means right mm -hmm. but you have to live it you have to apply it for that truth to really be embodied and crystallized in you yeah we were just talking about this i feel like in our last uh episode reading charles eisenstein's book uh the more beautiful world we all know or our hearts know exist he talks about this metaphor of a diamond, a perfect diamond um, being inside each one of us. And every single human has this perfect, beautiful, foot-long diamond inside of us. And some people have different facets cleaned off. Some, some are a little dirtier than others, and some are working really hard to clean their diamond. But every single human has this diamond. And to when you that. walk by someone on the street to see their diamond in them, no matter how they're behaving, know that that diamond exists. And it's like, oh, okay. So they just haven't cleaned enough facets. It makes it very like benign. It makes it yeah. very like almost objective where it's like, oh, okay. So they're just blind 
to the, and, and that even in itself sounds sort of demeaning calling someone blind, but I mean it with the most love that can be, can, that can be there is like, it's almost a way for me to bypass that judgment. Um, if I, if I think that someone is not behaving a, a way that I, I would or whatever, I'm projecting my value system on someone else. And it really does help, you know, um, I, I feel like I'm in that phase when you're talking about judgment and everything. I, I've talked about it multiple times on the podcast, but I'm really trying to get to this place where um, right now it's definitely a, a, a conscious thought. I have to remind myself of these and that takes time. I know it's not going to be a flip of a switch. Um, it takes time to really embody it and for it to become second nature where I don't have to think about it every time. It's really just um, this experiential knowledge versus just intellectual knowledge, knowing I should do something. Okay, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And then you kind of get into this um, unconsciously conscious state where you don't have to think about being, you know, this highest version of yourself. It just is. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't really a question, but (laughs) (laughs) if you've been playing around with the thought of Botox for forehead lines or crow's feet, or just frustrated by your acne scars, listen up, my love. ClearStem just brought back their no Botox repair serum that tells your skin to repair itself and generate new healthy collagen. This has quickly become my favorite of their products, and here's why. The blend of growth factors, peptides, and collagen-derived stem cells immediately feeds your skin what it needs to bounce back from internal stress, UV damage, acne scars, and other environmental aging triggers. Bounce Back is perfect for anyone who wants to avoid Botox, prolong the results of their existing Botox, prevent further lines from forming, and those of us who deal with deeper acne scarring. These ingredients are the real deal and, as always, hormone-friendly and non-pore clogging, completely corrective and targeted for skin repair. You will notice your skin visibly smoother, brighter, and healthier looking in just a few uses. I personally use bounce back once a day, usually in the morning, followed by ClearStem's HydroGlow moisturizer. To get your lovely little hands on some bounce back or any of the anti-acne, anti-aging, truly clean ClearStem products, go to clearstemskincare.com and use the code Mimi for a nice hefty discount or check it out in our medicine cabinet linked in the show notes. You and your skin are going to love this stuff. No, it's, it, it gives me so many different, um, so many things are popping up as you're talking. One is the idea that, um, where did I read this? There's a, a saying or a, or a teaching in one of the sutras, I believe, that says something like, the sage is asleep where others are awake, and the sage is awake where others are asleep. Meaning that other people are awake to this dream world. I'm this body, this person, I'm separate, I'm on this journey to enhance myself. And the sage is totally asleep to that idea. But the sage is awake to its universality and everyone else is asleep to that. And that has always been my experience as you just described, trying to integrate these truths. It's like, I know that my true nature already is this perfect, unconditional love towards all beings. I'm just cleaning all the dirt off my diamond, so to speak. And so freedom happens sort of like falling asleep at night. It's like you fall asleep slowly, 
and then all at once. Yeah. And nobody can say, when exactly was the moment you fell asleep mm. last night? You can never say, right? Mm. Mm -mm. It's exactly the same with freedom. You never oh. can look back and go, you know, yeah. it was March 27th where my judgments <laughs> yeah. of others stopped. Right. It was 12.30. Yeah. Like you, you always are like, oh, you know, that's a good, I don't know when that stopped. Let me think. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's been so long since I thought that way because when it disappears, like freedom leaves nothing in its wake. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's, it's this total annihilation of this old thought system to where you can't even almost connect with it because the joy, the expansion of this new state of awareness is so beautiful that you're just enjoying it. Mm -hmm. And then someone, you know, maybe you're in the car, like this will happen to me all the time. Somebody will totally cut you off and be selfish. And you're just like, oh, poor guy's having a bad day. Yeah. Yeah. Be like, Whoa, when did that happen? Yeah. Like, I always used yeah. to flip this guy off and swear yeah. I'm an idiot. When did I stop doing that? And you can't really say because freedom just leaves no footprints. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that falling asleep analogy. That is absolutely perfect. But but you're supposed to have a testimony. You're supposed to have a, a grand story about yeah. your breakthrough moment, right? Like that's what we grew up with. Yeah. It's like, yeah. hey, uh, we got a, you got a class project and it's going to be actually telling your, your testimony about how you found Jesus. Um, you, you know, in all practical terms, we, you know, let's, let's, we live on a beach, essentially, we walk the beach constantly. And in an effort for this, like, unity consciousness, we'll literally be holding hands on the beach, walk by somebody maybe 10 years ago, we would have judged, maybe they're holding a big gulp, um, <laughs> something along those lines. And, and we'll look at each other and we'll be like, we are that person, you know, yeah. like, how do you, how do you yeah. practically advise your, your clients? Like, what are the practices we're, we're so, we're so, you know, ingrained in the like, all right, we're going to work out in the gym to get in shape. Mm -hmm. What can we do spiritually as we uh, sit out in public, you know, somebody's cutting you off in the car. Um, we're walking along the beach and somebody's, you know, kicking sand or smoking a cigarette right in your face or, you know, using some of these examples that trigger that opportunity or that catalyst moment for um, kind of unity consciousness. What are you giving people for practical, like workout advice? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Workout advice. I love that. Well, we were talking about guilt earlier and um, <clears throat> in my masterclass, it's an eight module masterclass. And each one is a one, it's a minimum of one week. I don't say you can, you can take longer if you want to do a module, but they can't do it faster than a week because people like to binge. And so the second week's sort of homework is this guilt practice. Of I tell them to, you know, get a note app out or something on your phone and just like, imagine you're putting your antennas up for the frequency of guilt, that detecting guilt and just start writing down every moment you notice your mind tries to even subtly kind of shame for something. Mm. And it's just a, the, amazing the way it happens for almost everybody is they'll start writing things down as the day goes on, as the week goes on. And it's always the big ones first. And I'll, I'll tell them to try and put it in story form as the mind presents it. Like <clears throat> I'm a bad husband. Uh, I'm not, a, I'm not a very attentive wife to my husband. Uh, I'm not a good employee or something. I'm a failure. And as, as the week goes on, those guilt items just inevitably become subtler and subtler and subtler. And it, at the end of the week, it's like, I'm guilty for being in the shower too long. <laughs> I'm guilty for burning the toast a little bit. I'm guilty for waking up two minutes late. I don't know. And you, it brings on this epiphany for people of like, wow, yeah, my mind is trying to guilt trip me for every action I take. There's always this subtle voice of guilt. 
And that is um, basically the ego's way of stamping an anchor point in your mind. If it can get you to be guilty, as we said, guilt is identification. I'm guilty because I really did it. I pronounce myself guilty as the doer. So you've got to become aware of those things. Like you said, I would have judged the big gulp 10 years ago. Um, you wouldn't have even noticed you judged it because it presents itself as me. It's my thought. I'm thinking that the big gulp is unhealthy and that person is an idiot for drinking it. And as time goes on, when you become aware of guilt, you recognize, no, it's an automatic thought process that is conditioned. And it's whether I like it or not, it's there. And all I can do is become aware of it. And the awareness over time will mm -hmm. sort of suck the oxygen out of it. Um, but until you become aware of it, you're at the mercy of it, right? So sure. it's, it's just always about seeing what you can't see. Yeah. Almost like asking, like, okay, I want to see, like divine will replace my will divine eyes replace my eyes where yeah. because that's honestly what it feels like sometimes and we've had this conversation where it's like i know that i don't want to think those thoughts but sometimes it feels like they happen to me they just happen to me it's like somebody is injecting them into my mind and i don't actually want to think them it's like instantaneous and so i, I love what you said there it's like be just becoming aware is the first step like if you don't know that you're judging someone, if you don't know that that judgment exists, you can't evolve past it. So that first step right. of just, oh, it's there. And then, oh, it's there. I want to think a, a loving thought about them. And then, you know, step by step, hopefully those things, um, just by shining the light on it, um, will hopefully decrease it in nature or decrease it in frequency in your life to where, again, it's that falling asleep moment where it's like, Oh yeah, okay. I haven't had, you know, negative thoughts about this or that. It we're painting this picture like we're these really judgmental negative people, but I think that this <laughs> is just where I'm at personally in, in my evolution is is, you know, in the midst of reading the law of one, how can I how can I see that more? How can I integrate that fully into my life to where I it doesn't have to be a, a conscious thought out you know, a decision every time I make a decision because that's, it, it sort of gets exhausting, yeah. you know, if you're constantly making yourself think these things. And we do know this works. We, we've seen it in our own relationship. Yes. We've taken our, what we call our part one, which was, which was our dating and marriage um, and really transformed that into part two. And these things that would come up, you know, my temper, for instance, in, in part one, I would spill something in the kitchen and it would be, uh, you know, F-bomb ridden, uh, right. two minutes Same. of outburst. I literally had twin moments once we got back together and Megan moved back in. There was, there was actually a moment in the kitchen. I, I think I like, you know, spilled soup, like literally all over the floor or something. And what used to have been, you know, maybe middle fingers, F, like screaming out loud. I think I just like looked up and gently was like, fuck. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and like just kind of left it at that. I was like, I'm so impressed and by that you. Was a, that was actually a moment for me where I was like, wow, okay. I'm growing. I'm growing. <laughs> yeah. Or like, or, or we've had moments of like what used to look like um, an argument and then, uh, you know, punishment through, through, you know, silent treatment, silent treatment <laughs> yeah. for hours yeah. or days uh, has now led to really constructive Conversation, conversation, talking about the things behind the yeah. things that we're actually, you know, in confrontation yes. about. And those are the moments where it's been like, oh, wait, okay, that's, that's transformation. That, yeah. yeah, that's change. And so I know that these, uh, this model works. Yeah. Something you just said there, 
what's the thing behind the thing? What's the, what is the thing behind the soup that you're getting really mad at? Is it because you're mad at how much energy you're spending on your job and you don't like your job and you're out of balance and it's just coming out in this display? Um, similar, you know, I think when we are quick to judge people, it's like, what about, what in them am I seeing, you know, in myself also that I don't, I don't accept, I don't yeah. love, I don't know yet. And, um, you had something, I believe, on your Instagram uh, in the last couple of days where it was talking about self-love equaling self-knowing. And looking at that, looking in it, looking at it that way was so novel to me. We, I feel like self-love is one of those kind of trendy topics right now that's floating around and it's like everyone knows what it is, but no one really knows what it is. And everybody's on this self-love journey. And I've even yeah. used that phrase myself where, you know, going through your slides that you have on there, just everything was like, oh, yep, yep, yep. Clicking mm -hmm. to where it's like, again, this remembering where it's like, oh, that makes so much more sense. Can you um, maybe elaborate on that a little bit? Because I really, I, I think that this is a novel approach to self-love and in your opinion what does that actually look like yeah well as you just said the the thing behind the thing is the cause behind the effect and we judge ourselves for the effect yet we don't have any awareness of the cause so can you really be guilty right mm -hmm. and uh, it's 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 a byproduct of what you're not seeing so self-love is like that it, whereas if you picture yourself as a body, or I guess I'll back up and say, if you have any reason for loving yourself, it's not love because love mm -hmm. has, has no conditions. I love you because blank isn't love. <laughs> I love you is love. It's the recognition of shared being of that, that diamond, the inherent value. Even if your diamond is dirty, it doesn't mean the value of the diamond underneath the dirt is any different. We just have to clean the diamond off. And love is like that. It's like, I don't love you because your diamond is clean. Like I love the diamond period, regardless of its mm -hmm. state. And so a lot of self-love teachings I found um, in the same way that I found a lot of definitions of the ego to be just not helpful for me, or they just didn't lead me anywhere that I could integrate. Um, self-love teachings were like that as well. I would just come across um, and they're all well-intentioned. Absolutely. But you know, take a pen and paper out and write down 10 reasons you love yourself. And it seems like a good thing to do, but you're, it's just like you're writing 10 bullseyes for the ego to attack. Mm -hmm. I love myself because I'm so nice. Great. Ego just heard that. Now it will hold you to that standard. And anything that could be taken as not being a nice guy, it'll crack the whip over you for it. So you can't love yourself for a reason. You have to recognize who you are, your inherent eternal value. And so picturing yourself as a body or as a person and trying to love that is a dead end road mm. because ego will always hold you to a standard, compare you to other bodies and bodies are temporary, right? They're finite. Yeah. They have a, a clock. And so if you love your body today because it looks great, you're going to really, really hate it in 30 years when it's not up to that standard anymore. So love is about getting rid of everything. Just like I have, there's no reason at all to love myself. I love myself because I am. And that has been my, one of my primary practices is just like getting so in tune with that sense. I exist. I'm aware I am here. That's where my value comes from. And to my, I guess, 
sort of surprise when I started reading these teachings from Ramana Maharshi and Nisargadatta, it sounded like such a ordinary, simple practice to be aware of the I am knowledge, meditate on I am, remember I am. But I just was like, all right, well, I'll just try it. So it's like, I exist, I exist, you know, becoming aware that I am and that you're so used to that default mode network of ego saying, but, but why though? Because yeah. you do these things, you've done these things, these accomplishments, people like you, that's why you're valuable. And you just keep going back to the simplicity of being. And it so deepens and transforms that it, it actually becomes a mystery where you, you less and less can define yourself or know yourself as a thing. Because just like the absolute miracle of your own awakeness just captivates you. It's like, how is it that I exist? It's such a miracle. Yeah. Like where out of nothing came this luminous knowledge I am. And here I am with sentience and existence. Like that's the miracle of the universe. And I am that miracle. What is more lovable than that, right? Mm -hmm. You can only see that by getting rid of all the reasons to love yourself. So self-love is kind of a negating more than an adding to yourself. It's not about finding anything. It's about getting rid of everything you thought you were before. Yeah, mm. I feel like it's almost like once you're able to articulate it is when the ego has caught up and it, start, it starts impersonating uh, what you've actually been able to walk through because it, it's, for me, it's like, I think my ego is so close behind my actual evolution that it quickly jumps in front of it, jumps in front of me uh -huh. and is yeah. like, gotcha. Uh, let me, let me tell you very articulately and beautifully about how woke you really are. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's or like, why don't you tell someone else like yeah. this, this, this knowledge that you just came to make sure other, someone else knows. And I think so yeah. much of it's like my, uh, and our collective, just like interest in certainty. And I think it, it may, may have been a piece that you had in your content of late around certainty and so much of wanting to be certain is wanting to be safe. And once I'm safe yeah. and once I have an identity, then it's okay. And then I've achieved something and accumulated something. And when I stop and zoom out, the mystery and the adventure and the wonder is the freaking answer. And, yeah. and, and coming to that conclusion, that certainty is almost for me an indication that the ego just caught up real quick and is putting it back on me as if I've achieved something. Mm -hmm. 100%. The, the, the don't know mind is where it's at. That's liberation. Yeah. <laughs> when you think you know, you're lost because you think a concept is a reality and it's not. Uh, the mystery is where the juice is. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. I love that. I need that on a t-shirt. Mystery is where the juice yeah, that's, that's, is. <laughs> that's great. We'll, we'll uh, joint venture you with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, super curious, you know, a few, a few things, knowing your history, um, a couple topics, a couple words I'd love your, your take on. Um, so defining God, self and salvation historically, how would you have defined them? Like in your pastoral uh, evangelical days, versus how you would define them now. So that mm. is defining God, self, and salvation. Mm. Tough question, because it's, it's almost like a lifetime ago to <laughs> capture that way of thinking. Um, God was always, I always had a very loving relationship with God, even though it was God is separate from me. I'm not God. Um, God is like my cosmic father, maybe. Um, and I think it, in, in non-duality, when, when a person from a, like a Christian religion who's been taught this devotional path or this path of worship, um, non-duality seems to take that away by saying, no, you're that. And it's like, well, 
well, bummer. You took all the, the fun out of it. Like, who am I going to worship now? Who am I going to devote myself to now? It feels narcissistic to worship myself. And that's because you're still picturing yourself as a body, right? Who would worship a body? Of course, a body didn't create the universe. So that makes no sense. So yeah, it's, it's again, just a tough transition to make. And it takes probably many years for most people to sit with these truths and let them grow that seed grow within you and make its roots. And so now, um, yeah, if I had to define God for me now is just existence, just mm. the very nature, the very miracle of, of being alive and being awake. And when, when you see God that way, you can't not see God in anything. Um, and that also includes the self. The, the self becomes a part of that, is included in that. Um, I am something that God is doing. I am an expression of that or this body, this personality is an expression of that. And uh, slowly over time, I think that knowledge deepens in a way that you can say with Christ, I and my father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the father because the me being referred to is not a body anymore. Whereas as a Christian kid growing up, me was this body, this personality. Mm. Mm. Beautiful. I, I never understood this part of Christianity, even when I was in it, was always afraid to ask the question, but I, 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 <clears throat> yeah, it was always there, um, believing that we are created in the image. Literally, it says created in the image of God. And, you know, you, you are inviting Jesus to live inside of you. Okay, well, if I've got Jesus inside of me, I've got his love in my heart, or he's living somewhere in my heart, in my being somewhere. Whatever that means. Right. <laughs> Jesus is knocking on the door of the heart. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. I invited him in. He's there. And also, I'm created in, in the image of God. Why should I hate myself again? <laughs> I, that, that like literally never made sense to me. And why should I feel like I'm not enough? Like, wait, why, why am I bad though? Why am I not yeah. enough? And I think we get on this perpetual treadmill hamster wheel of feeling not enough. And I must have done something. Yeah. I must have done something. Let me look, let me take yeah. inventory of my life because there's got to be enough things that are fucked up. That I need to go back and ask him again. Yeah, mm-hmm. and yeah. and what you're just what you're saying right now is is a, a beautiful, a more beautiful explanation of you know uh, uh, the answer I was looking for a long time ago in my Christian school days was wait why though like I don't understand this and it's it's like it's it's literally in all of us you are it it is you it is everywhere it's in everything this miracle of existence that you feel and you feel pulled to you're resonating with like that Holy Spirit voice that, that um, I think it's Hakma wisdom that's inside all of us is there for a reason. And it, it's said by, you know, so many different names, but it is this, I think this um, pull towards the creator, pull towards true love and the awareness of love. And um, I just, I, I think that that's, that's the answer that I was looking for a long time ago um, was, yeah to that, to that question that I think is so fundamental. It's like, we talk about it all the time in Christianity, Christianity, but no one really talks about it. What does it actually mean to be created in the image of God? Yes. What does that actually mean? I was just going to say that if, if Christians just took their own statements to their logical conclusion, they would become new age. Like they accuse us of (laughs) that quick, because like you said, what does it mean to say Jesus lives in your heart? Obviously, that's not a literal statement. A person can't live in your heart. It's, it's always meant to point to a 
transcendent truth, a spiritual dimension. Uh, and Christians just, because of the way they literalize everything, in, in my experience as being a Christian, um, they don't see the, the real truth it's pointing to. To say that Jesus lives in your heart, well, you know, it should be obvious that Jesus, the man, was everything he was, not because he confessed Jesus as his Lord and Savior, mm-hmm. right? right? But because he knew inwardly, I and the Father are one. He had a oneness understanding of the divine. And so for Christ to live in my heart would have to mean the same state of consciousness Christ was in is now in me. And, mm-hmm. and Paul got very deep into this, um, this theology of the Christ. The Christ represented a, a transcendent state of consciousness that was in the man Jesus. You know, Jesus was the man, but Christ was the consciousness. And Paul, to the limitations of his time and day and age and religion, um, really got into that. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Um, these are the closest ways that he could express this understanding of total oneness with that Christ nature um, that as he expressed, Christ is in all and mm-hmm. as all and through all, the Christ is in everything. Those are the, the true tr- um, meanings behind all of these statements like image and likeness, uh, Jesus living in your heart. And it's just, it's unfortunate that the literalizing of, of words um, completely blinds them from the meaning. And they're sort of just left with these altruisms that we repeat, but they don't actually have real context for people. I think that people take that statement of made in the image or in the likeness of God. We use that to form our picture yeah. of God rather than the reverse. He must where be white. He is, you know, he he's must probably be a well, okay. Yeah, so he's yeah. like this. So he's he's a biped. He's got arms and legs. Projection. He's probably got a white beard. He's in a white robe. Yeah. Jesus said, you know, this that. Like we use that to form our picture of God rather than that forming the picture of who we should be. You know, um, I'm, I'm. This is all just coming together for me right now. It's mm-hmm. like we. It's more for us, you know, that, that, that statement to form our picture of God rather than who we truly are. Yeah. Well, how about the way that Christians will do the same thing to justify those beliefs in like hell, torment, all these things that are so in contradiction to love. And those of us who question it for that reason, and we ask Christians these questions, why would a loving God torture people? They'll give us these answers that are just sort of like pat, patented answers. Well, well, God's ways are higher than our ways. Right. It's like, do you realize what you just implied by saying that, right? You're implying that, you know, yes, I acknowledge, you know, violence seems wrong and it doesn't make sense, but God's ways are higher. So, okay, so God's ways are violence and my way is peace and love and forgiveness. If only God was like that, that'd be great. But, you know, his ways are higher. And it's like, no, it's the opposite, right? you're making God in your image. Mm-hmm. I'm violent. I'm hateful. I'm unforgiving. And so I project that onto God. If we have a God whose ways are mercy and forgiveness and compassion, then we have a God whose ways are higher than our ways. Mm-hmm. It's the total reversal of the way that they paint it. One of the questions that I get basically every single day is, Hey Mimi, is this a good mushroom product? It's usually accompanied by a picture of Company X mushroom product, and this person wants my help in deciding if they should keep using it or buy it for the first time. There are new mushroom companies popping up all the time as medicinal mushrooms become more and more popular, 
And nine times out of 10, I have to be the bearer of bad news and let the person who's asking me know that the pure mushroom product they thought they were getting actually has a lot of grains, oats, or rice in it, which act as fillers and bulk up the product. I know, not awesome. But then I get to be the bearer of good news and let this person know that there are companies that are creating incredible mushroom extracts. My favorite is real mushrooms. Real mushroom products are exactly that real mushrooms. They are organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, and third-party tested multiple times for their scientifically verified active compounds. No grain, no starch, no fillers, just real mushrooms. My favorite right now are the lion's mane and chaga extract powders, but they also have capsules for you if you're on the go. To get some real mushrooms in your beautiful body, go to realmushrooms.com slash Mimi to receive your hefty discount, or just check the show notes below for the link. Bringing you only the best. Cheers, boo. Yes. And you just, I mean, coming again full circle to what you said at the beginning is like, we become the God that we create, or I forget the exact yeah. words that you use, yeah. but it's like, we become in the likeness of the God that we have in our minds. Right. Yep. And that's, uh, you know, just another, uh, just evidence of that. Um, yeah. it, it, it's, it's riddled and we have, I mean, unending examples of where there's discrepancies, where it doesn't quite line up, but it's like, no, you just have faith. You just have faith. You just, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like when, when the answer is, I don't know, we can't say, I don't know in the Christian world. It's, it's, uh, yeah, you just got to have faith. Yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah. what it always comes down to. I definitely want to, wanna, you know, give a shout out another series that you have on your channel. I think it's called like the, the Awaken series or something along those lines where it's, it's essentially like educating on some of the beauties of Christianity, but some of the, uh, a little bit of the disconnect with uh, what is taught. Oh, moving and, backwards. Moving backwards. Moving backwards. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it is, it's a, it's a, beautiful series that doesn't just completely crap on Christianity at all. In fact, oh, it highlights yeah. some of the most beautiful elements mm -hmm. of Christianity and where potentially there is a little bit of disconnect, a little bit of uh, contradiction and giving tools for, you know, listeners or viewers mm -hmm. uh, to be able to kind of like wade through the waters of this, this uh, religion that can be both beautiful, but also kind of detrimental to this human experience. So yeah. definitely want uh, you guys should check yeah. that out if you're having any more questions specifically as it pertains to mm -hmm. um, some of the Christian elements here. Yeah. And I would say to anyone who's listening who maybe has identified with, you know, being a Christian or growing up in the Christian space, um, I, in a, for a long time, I, I felt this sort of guilt just by questioning what I had been taught and how I had been raised because I'm truly grateful for it. It instilled a lot of really great values in my life and in my upbringing. And um, I just want to put this out there as a disclaimer that if some of this is connecting or disconnecting or you're just, you feel things firing in your being, um, I just want to encourage you that it is absolutely not wrong to ask questions because through questions, we, we, we receive more understanding of the thing, obviously. It, that seems sort of elementary, but if the point of you know, uh, being a Christian is to have a deep and, and loving relationship with God or with Jesus, then wouldn't that entity want you to ask questions so that you can further know him, so that you can know him or it or they deeper? Mm -hmm. it, it only makes sense that if this relationship was authentic, 
that you would be searching for that depth, that you can answer questions and say, no, I believe this because X, Y, Z, and that you have that sort of confidence because you've looked into it and you've researched and you've asked those questions that have been on your heart, um, then you know for certain that this relationship, whatever it is, whether you're Catholic or Christian or Muslim or whatever, it's mine because I'm choosing it, not because someone handed it to me and said, this is what we believe, this is who we are. You are doing the work and making it authentic in your own life. I just, I can hear, I can feel someone is listening and they're like, but I I have this guilt for asking questions or questioning in any sort of way. I don't want God to think that I don't believe or, or Jesus to think that I'm not grateful or whatever. I'm not, I'm not excommunicating Jesus out of my heart. If you ask questions, like, I think that is the point of spirituality. Yeah. Cause the kernel of wanting to ask a question is you want to know what's true. Yeah. You ask a question because you want to know it's true. Right. (laughs) So God is truth. So why would God be offended by that, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm so refreshed by, uh, you know, the law of one and and Ra is is continually evaluating whether the response to questions is going to impede upon the free will of Mm -hmm. the questioners and embodying that more and more as far as one, it's okay to question, but, but also observing others in their questioning is okay. And we don't need to provide any sort of answers. Um, Sometimes that just means holding space or being the container or being in the questioning with the individual uh, because free will is the, is the catalyst, right? And Mm -hmm. that is, as we evolve, we're so freaking lit up to share with others, our family who are, who are still, you know, evangelical Christians. I, I almost get preacher in a sense at times and want like, you don't understand. There's so many breakthroughs over here, but, if it's not a choice, mm-hmm. if it's not presented yeah. um, without uh, em- like shoving in their face, or if it's presented that way, it's it's going to be impeding on their free will. And and um, mm-hmm. so it's been such a beautiful reminder to observe uh, the law of one, to observe the way that raw you know evaluates any sort of answer from some of those mm-hmm. questions with the layer of you know is free will still you know protected? Is it still sacred here? Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's love. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say, I think it's more important rather than to have, you know, heated conversations and and try to convince people of, of your way or like, you should do this, you should do that. We are, we have these conversations all the time where it's like, no, I just, I just want to embody. I know that I just need to be, I just need to be what it is that I'm, uh, that I know that I can be, you know, around my family, around my friends. And, you know, if I'm, you know, at my parents' house and I bring the law of one and it's laying there and they get interest, oh, what book you're reading? I'm happy to share, but yeah. I don't need to sit down and be like, y'all should read this um, because yeah. it, it needs to be you know, the question or the, uh, the intrigue needs to come from their mind, not from me trying to convince. And that's, I, I don't know how we've not figured that out on Facebook yet, but the political, <laughs> like the political arguments and this and that, it's like yeah. the, the probability of you swaying someone to see things your way is just as likely as them swaying you to see, you know, it's <laughs> right. just like, it doesn't work. How are we not seeing that? And so it's, it's something that I'm seeing in my own life where it's just like, Chase is such a beautiful reminder. Cause I'll be like, but I, I want to do this. And he'll be like, just be it, just embody it, just be love and yeah. let them see and let them feel it. And then if they get curious and they can ask questions and then be an open book. Yeah. Being is teaching, isn't it? 
Yeah. Yeah. Have, have you felt that in your journey and in, in your transformation, you know, kind of like leaving the church and into these, uh, you know, channeled works into leaning into spirituality more and more uh, from where you came from, friends, family, are you just saying like, hey, go check out my YouTube channel? Or how are you actually dealing with kind of a little bit of that? Um, hey, I, I'm having breakthroughs here. I'd love to share it, but protecting, you know, free will on the same space. Yeah. You know, I, I guess I was always aware of that fact from the, from the start that I'm not going to convince these people their beliefs are wrong or something. And um, I was going through my own sort of crisis of faith uh, to such a degree that I didn't even care to like convince others. I was trying to work it out for myself. And once I felt settled in to these new understandings in a way that gave me real peace, there's just this instant sort of recognition of like, wow, look at everything I had to experience to get here. Like there is no possible way I'm going to talk someone into this. Mm -hmm. uh, words don't teach. Life teaches. Words point to life. They point to reality. But you have to go beyond the words and, and experience it. And furthermore than that, if I don't truly embody this understanding, if I don't become a living reflection of it, why should they believe it? Right. Like, yeah. You shouldn't believe something that someone can't live if it doesn't actually walk the walk for you if it doesn't demonstrate in reality that it applies to reality, then you definitely shouldn't believe it. So for me, it's, I've always had a kind of um, agitation when I know a, a concept that I don't embody yet, when I know I'm not living it or experiencing the truth of it, it just creates this irritation in me of like, man, I, I, I want to live this and embody this. I don't want to just know it. It hurts me to know it and not be it. And so the, the desire is just for integration so strongly that I understand once I integrate this and I'm actually a living example of it, I don't need to talk about it. People who are awake to it will see it and they'll want to know about it. And so it, it goes back to that marvelous teaching from Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer that just goes out sowing seeds, just throws the seeds, doesn't care where they land. Yeah. Some of them land on bad soil and the sun scorches them. Other lands on good soil and produces a huge crop. So when you're just in the attitude of being and embodying, it's like wherever you go, your energy field is the seeds, right? And yeah. just by contacting your energy, if, if there's an openness there, the seed's going to land on good soil. And you're not even aware of when that's happening. And you don't need to be aware of it because that's the freedom of being. It's like you just are in connection with life and life just flows through you in such a marvelous way. And man, that's where the fun really is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so true. I had um, one more question. Well, we have a couple more, but uh, on this sort of um, this sort of point that we're on, what would you say to someone? What advice, for lack of a better word, even though we don't want to impinge on someone else's free will to make their own decisions and 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 um, discover for themselves, but there is someone listening who has started to uncover and discover for themselves these maybe different spiritual truths. And they're, they're just cracking the door to, you know, asking the question, what do I actually believe? What makes sense? What resonates with me? And um, they're just starting this journey. Is there any advice or anything that you would want to convey to them? Maybe where to start or even just if, if it's all, you know, metaphysical um, or maybe there is some, some physical um, advice that you could give. What would you say to them? Mm -hmm. Easiest answer for me is follow your inner guidance. Like develop such a trusting relationship with your feeling state, with your emotional guidance system and know that that like your emotions are always pointing you to what's true. 
And this is something that also gets flipped. So you can't trust your emotions because they're unstable. It's like, well, you just, you just don't understand what your emotions are speaking to. If you think emotions are speaking to your circumstance, then ego will take hold of them and create a story out of them. Oh yeah, you feel bad because you are bad and shame on you. And that person really does, does judge you. But when you know your emotions are speaking to your state of perception, then you realize whenever I feel a negative emotion, it's just an indicator that I'm perceiving reality in a way that reality is not. And when I feel good, joyful, peaceful, I am perceiving reality the way it actually is. Mm. So whatever brings peace to your heart is what is true. And you actually can't know pe or truth until you know that. Because then you're just going to give it over to your mind and your mind doesn't know what's true. It just knows concepts. Yeah. And mm. it's just going to get lost in concepts. And this is how cults and religions get formed, right? There was a kernel of truth at the beginning, like a holy person who spoke the truth. And then over time, the mind grabbed onto it after they died, created a whole dogma out of it, and then it gets warped. So if, if you had stayed true to your emotional guidance system, something in you knows what's true and it'll check you. Like, hmm, I don't, I don't know about that. It's something in me doesn't have peace with that. And the opening line from A Course in Miracles was really my flagship in my seeking journey. When I read that line years before I ever cracked open the book, it probably was from Marianne Williamson. Nothing real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists. And therein lies the peace of God. Mm. So it's like, oh, phew, I don't have to worry about yeah. seeking for truth. Like Christianity taught me, you know, the devil's under every rock. If you turn over the wrong rock, you know, there's the devil. You just got deceived. Yeah. It's like, but if I want God, if that's my pure intention, I want truth and I do not want what's not true. How could I possibly be led astray? Surely the Holy Spirit within me will guide me as the Bible says, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. It will lead you and guide you into all truth. It's like, if we believe those things, then there should be no fear at all in asking questions and pursuing. So if, if you're in that place, you're on that um, sort of edge of that cliff, ready to jump. I don't know if I'm ready to leave this familiar, comfortable territory yet. Just know the truth goes with you wherever you go. You cannot be divorced from it. It's inside you because it is you. And if you tune into it and listen to it, like, man, it'll point itself out to you yeah. so quickly. You really don't need the mind to do the job for you. Mm, yeah. I love that. So, like letting peace be your, your inner guide. The, the, um, the, the arrow on your compass is, is truly peace. Something I've been yeah. meditating on lately is I will think the questions. I will intellectualize the questions and structure them in a way that is almost, it's almost like very masculine in nature. Mm -hmm. um, and so many times when I feel like I've gotten an answer, it's, it's because I've felt the answer. Yeah. I'm not able to intellectualize the answer or the download. I may not even be able to regurgitate it in this moment. I might need to sit in it a while uh, to be able to put structure towards it and re-articulate it to somebody else. But so often I felt the truth or felt the answer far before I've ever been able to intellectualize it. And oh, so yes. sort of like, even if it's call it muscle testing or call it just like emotional feeling mapping where wow, that was true for me. Where did it show up? Okay. It didn't show up in my, it didn't show up in the pit of my belly, like, like guilt or like, uh, you know, when I've hurt somebody, it kind of showed up as a little bit of like anxiety in my throat, kind of like I was going up a roller coaster or, or, you know, driving in a burning man for the first time. <laughs> and it's the, these types of things that I'm not going to be able to spell this out to anybody for a hot minute, but wow, that was true. And it rang true in my entire being. 
that is a little more feminine, right? It's a little get, getting more yeah. into your, into mm -hmm. your feelings. Um, but, it, but knowing and being comfortable with the fact that I can pose really intellectual, rational questions, but that I may not get the answer in the same way that I asked it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That you're Absolutely. feeling it. You're feeling the answer. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause truth is not a concept. Right. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Funny enough. I so. feel like I, I've heard this, you know, uh, said in so many different ways, but right now there's so much information out there that at the drop of a hat or the click of a button, you can find out what truth is, whether it be from Google or <laughs> Google whatever truth. search engine. Yeah. 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 Um, but it's, it, I feel like we, none of us can agree on what truth is verbally. It's like we all know, we all have it within us and it's just like peeling away and, and clearing away that dirt that's covering the diamond that is truth. Yeah. Um, that is just our, our essence essentially. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, oh man. You, so great. So good. I mean, we could literally go for like four more hours. Um, but it, this is good because, um, we'll definitely leave, uh, more to be desired. Um, we hope that this is just the beginning of a, a wonderful uh, partnership, interaction, uh, relationship with you as you continue to teach all of the amazing things that you do. But um, our last little bit of questions that we ask every guest um, is, you know, the medicine is all about discovering and uncovering these different medicines of the universe and um, really sort of an expansion of the mind body and relationships. And we want to hear from you what currently, um, we'll start with your body, but what currently feels like medicine for your body right now? Mm, great question. I love that. Uh, what feels like medicine to my body lately is uh, sunlight. Mm, I've been yes. doing some sun gazing in the evening mm. and um, trying to, being really conscious to spend at least five to 10 minutes out in the sunlight every day and just taking in that cosmic prana and uh something about that experience allows you to realize how connected you are that like i'm i'm my body is taking in the very life force that it's made out of mm -hmm. and it's it's just such a, an intimate experience for me that like the sun is my body as much as this meat suit is my body like if the sun didn't shine i wouldn't exist here in this life uh the air i breathe on my lungs as much as the organ that moves in the air it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm intimately connected with all of life. The world is my body in a sense. And um, that's good medicine, man. Mm -hmm. yeah. Stardust. Mm, I yeah. love hearing that. <laughs> yeah. um, and what about for your mind? What feels like medicine right now? Silence. Mm. Silence is the best medicine for the mind. That's hard to get to for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Is, is it, even just the allowance, like realizing that like, there's that little window where it's uncomfortable and it's like you're bored and, but I have so many things to think about. Are you sure this is good for me? And you have to like bypass that, you know, little minute until you become like a wizard and you can just do it. But um, once you wonder if you're silent, you're not silent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Am I doing it? Am I doing it? I think I'm silent. Oh, wait. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. know. But I, I definitely agree. We, we were just talking about this uh, last night where, you know, we, we've had some family visiting and everything, which is great. It's wonderful. We love sharing our, our island with the ones that we love, but you get out of your routine and your rhythm of the day where we're, we're both starting our day and meditation and quiet and reading and learning. And that's filled with, you know, walks on the beach and now family and things like that. And it's very, I can sense it in me when my, my soul is wanting stillness mm -hmm. and that red light, you know, pairing it with the red light where you can just, just be and just 
this morning I was, you know, sitting in front of the red light thinking, okay, which facet of my diamond, what, what am I currently <laughs> cleaning off right now? What, that, that one feels clean. That one feels pretty, pretty sparkly. Mm. What, which one am I working on today? And it feels, um, it feels sort of magical rather than thinking about how can I be better? How can I be a better human? It's like, it's kind of putting the mystical and the magical within like, what do I want to really embody today? What facet can I clean off? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> well, it's, it's, uh, silence is a state of listening. If, if you can tap into mm. your state of consciousness, when you're truly listening to somebody, somebody you care about and they're expressing themselves like capture what that experience is like to deeply listen. That's silence. Mm -hmm. So meditation is listening to reality because reality is silent. Reality doesn't, doesn't use words. It doesn't tell you what it is. Like it just moves. It just is, it just does. And it doesn't explain itself like the mind wants it to. And so you can't um, understand reality through thinking about it. You actually move yourself further away from it when you think about it. Because mm. again, the mind only refers to labels. It can't actually know reality. It can only know concepts about reality. So as the Course in Miracles says, let us not forget that words are merely symbols of symbols. Thus, they are twice removed from reality. Mm. That's so, so good. So it's like meditation is just sitting down and listening to reality. And if you think it's not thinking, that's also a thought. And so you're just going to keep thinking about not thinking mm -hmm. <laughs> when you're like, reality is my lover. Reality wants to show me itself, herself. Mm -hmm. You would listen so intimately, right? And that's meditation. That's the best medicine for the mind. The mind just learns. I don't actually have to think about reality because when I am silent, reality tells me what it is. Mm. I love, I love that. that. That's a, that's a great yeah. way to think about it. So it's like, you don't have to judge the thought if it comes, you can just like, let it be and know that you are listening. And if, if it comes up for you, then maybe it's meant to be there. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's a great way to think about it. Um, okay. Last one. What feels like medicine for your relationship or relationships right now? Mm. I guess it'd be funny to say this, but listening. It's a good one. Listening is an art form, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, it's, it really is the greatest act of intimacy you can give to someone is to deeply listen to them. Uh, when someone is expressing themselves through the mouth, at least they're trying to share part of their beingness with you. Like mm -hmm. this is a, a part of my experience of reality and they can only capture it in words and language until we evolve telepathy, I guess. That's what we're left with. So to deeply listen to somebody and e even in, you know, people can get lost in their mind and they can ramble, but if you're listening enough, you can actually still hear what they're really saying behind all the ego noise. Um, even somebody who might be very unconscious, like I just went to a 4th of July party with my girlfriend's uh, friend of theirs and, you know, talking to most of these people, they're not into spirituality at all. And so you're trying to strike up a conversation and, get to know them, but it's like, there's not a whole lot of areas we relate to one another. And so I just get in this mode of like deeply listening to people and trying to get into their world. And mm -hmm. you can find that even though I can't relate to you in terms of like your desires and your fears, I can deeply listen to you and get in touch with your experience. And I can share that with you mm -hmm. because I've been there. I've, I have once thought that way about myself or wanted those things. And my old, you know, maybe even a year ago, 
would have been listening to these things being like, man, there's such a huge ego. Like they don't know how unconscious they are yeah, <laughs> and damn it. judging, judging, judging. That's not listening. That's not yeah. loving. And yeah. so it, yeah, it's an art form that continues to deepen for me. And uh, again, I just find so much revelation happens even about life, myself, not even just the person I'm listening to. Uh, it really is like the greatest act of intimacy. Oh, absolutely. I, I agree. And it's felt by the other person when you can truly just, right. when it's almost intimidating to be sitting in front of a fully embodied person where yeah. they're present and they're actually listening. You know, most people are used to talking to someone that's looking, you know, like, uh-huh, yeah, on their phone or something like that. Or and waiting we just to get, say the next thing. Yeah, yes. like thinking, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? What am I going to say? And I think it can be almost like, disarming and uh, intimidating in a way to be like, whoa, they're, they're like really listening, <laughs> you know, very vulnerable. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it does. Yeah. It, it's that, that, um, that vulnerability that, that comes along with intimacy and, and um, that it, absolutely in relationship, this could be obviously with a stranger, but even, you know, definitely deeper in partnership where <laughs> that's what I found. And, you know, talking with you when we're having maybe a charged or a, a hard, a difficult conversation about something that's meaningful to us is not thinking of how I'm, am I going to respond, but really truly looking at your face, looking at your eyes, looking yeah, at the looking facial at expressions eyes. and seeing like, Oh, that's, that's where he's hurt. That's where maybe something I did or said, even if, if by chance it came from something I did or said like, Oh, okay. I see I'm identifying with the hurt with, you know, something, some way that I can be better, that I can express my love better to him. And, um, that's, I mean, it's so, so simple, but these, these answers to very complex problems like relationship, like deep partnership, they're so simple. They're so simple. Yeah. I mean, stare at somebody in the eyes for 60 seconds, uh, before you say something, oh even gosh. if it's hostile, even if the, even if the interaction is, is somewhat hostile, oh, it can and, like and, bring or about if you've tears. never practiced empathy in your life, like stare yeah. at someone in the actual eyeballs, there's no bullshit in those eyes. Yeah. And that will literally just drop layers of separation in between mm -hmm. uh, the two of you and yeah. open up a channel for authenticity yeah. and really empathy. It really yeah. does. It's funny you say that because I, I did a speech uh, class a couple of years ago and one of the exercises was they paired us up with strangers and we did it a couple of times and one of the exercises was to just stare at each other mm -hmm. in the eyes for 60 seconds and then I think after the minute we had certain things to say and um, man, I was with this woman who I felt so bad for her because she could not maintain eye contact with me for more than about a second. Her eyes would have to look away. And, uh, I felt so bad for her. Like, man, what a, she recognized like, oh no, like I'm screwed right now. Like there's nowhere to uh, run. Yeah. <laughs> you've been seen, you've been seen yeah. despite all your efforts oh. in this world, you've been seen. And that's one of the beautiful things about yeah. the eyeballs is yeah. we can dress ourselves up with makeup, mm -hmm. hairstyles. We can put muscle on, we can gain weight, we can lose weight. Yeah. Can't do a whole lot unless you're going to put like, you know, fake contacts in your eyes. Mm -hmm. You can't cover those things up and it is the access to your soul and it, and it, What's the scariest thing in the world is to be seen. Yeah. And uh, yeah. we all want to be seen. No, we don't. Yes, we do. No, yeah. we don't. <laughs> um, yeah, I think especially uh, for, for a feminine, like you're used to not being looked at in the eyes. You're used to being objectified. You're used to all of these things. And I don't know about this woman, but it yeah. is absolutely like it, it can almost be frightening to have a, a truly conscious man look at you in your eyes and truly, you know, decide to see you. 
holy crap, like that was actually the, the catalyst for our part too, because he grabbed my face and looked at me in the eyes that, and I've never had anyone, including you, uh, do that to me before. And I was like, and you just <laughs> had me. Yeah. Greatest act of intimacy. Cause if you're not really listening, if you're not listening, you're projecting. Mm. Mm-hmm. Those are the only two options, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Perfectly put. Yep. So many things, so many nuggets. There's so much wisdom there, so much love, so much light. I know that um, people are just <laughs> taking notes and, and listening, rewinding all the things. And, and this is probably one that people could go back to and listen to multiple times because like you're talking about this channeled work, there's layers sure. and they might not get everything exactly what you said or, or it might not click in a certain way or it might seem foreign even or you know disconnected. But um, I, there are so many layers and, and they all have value. And um, Yeah, definitely start you know following Aaron on social. Uh, have a ton of fun with his YouTube channel. It's incredible if you, <laughs> if you haven't uh, already. Yeah. Uh, but where else, Aaron? Where else can we find you? I know you're putting out a ton of courses, a bunch of content. I know you have workshops. So, so what else can we, you know, even for us selfishly, we, we'd love to get involved even more. Yeah. Uh, I have two courses right now. The one is the masterclass I've mentioned. It's called master your mind. And it's really like the fundamentals for understanding how the mind works and really graduating through these levels of awareness we've talked about. Um, so that's an eight week course. We do a, a Q and a every Saturday. So we get some one-on-one time as well to ask questions about the material and stuff. Um, and that's always available for people. You can find it on my website, aaronapke.com. And then the other program is a Course in Miracles program that I do with a, a friend of mine who we co-teach it. Um, it's called Living the Course. And we do, it's a full year-long program where every day we get up uh, seven o'clock my time in Colorado and we do the daily lesson. Uh, we have about 250 or some odd people in the program. We do the lesson together every morning and just really break down like, what is this lesson asking of us? What should we integrate to our awareness today? And then on Thursday nights, we have an hour long masterclass where we break down one of the key terms sort of that we touched on like atonement or uh, miracle and really break down the, the non-dual truth that it's pointing to so that as we read this text, it continues to develop. And I, I just highly recommend anyone on this journey of um, seeking for liberation to get into the course of miracles because it's just an absolute handbook to enlightenment and if you devote yourself to it like a disciple to a guru it will be your guru Mm. and so uh, that course is basically to help people do just that to really get into the text and we'll be starting year two uh signups for that in a couple of months so you can also find that on my website as well Awesome. Okay. Yeah, well, we'll definitely have all this information, all his links, um, you know, uh, Instagram and all of that in the in the show notes for sure. Um, and hope to, you know, hope that we have we can have you back um, to maybe go deeper into maybe Law of One or A Course in Miracles or something like that. Yeah, that would be awesome. That. Yeah, anytime. Yeah. Just say the word and I'll be there. All Hell right. Yeah. Uh, love it. We are so grateful to you for your work and you are just truly a beacon and uh, we, we love aligning with uh, similar types of people in this world and, and um, really excited to, you know, we, we call ourselves a bridge to sort of expansion and to be this bridge to teachers like yourself is, is truly an honor. Yeah, thanks so much, Aaron. Thank you guys as well. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, you guys go spread some light. We'll talk to you next time. If you liked this episode, make sure you hit that subscribe button in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. This will ensure that every episode drops into your library automatically. 
Also, make sure you're following me on Instagram at Mimi underscore the medicine. To learn more about our favorite health products, foods, and supplements we discuss on here, visit getmimifit.com forward slash the medicine cabinet, or just check the show notes below. Until next time, cheers, boo.